0: You're here at Bethany Baptist, and so we invite you to join us uh, in Heritage right after the service this morning. All right, if you have your Bible, please take it and open it with me to Matthew chapter 16. We've been working our way this month through a, a brief series on where do churches come from? And... Even in the very first message, Pastor Casey referred to this concept, and the truth is churches come from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Lord Jesus working through his people that send out churches. There is also a true principle that churches start churches, that it's always been the gathered body that has been the power and commissioning and commencement of that, And yet this morning, I want us to look at some scriptures, primarily this one in Matthew chapter 16, that refer to where the church comes from. And I'm going to be reading from verses 13 down through 20. And I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but you follow along in whatever translation you have this morning. It'll be very similar to this. As we read of a very familiar encounter between the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Peter. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man was one of the nicknames that Christ used to refer to himself. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The apostles' response to Christ's question, who do people say that I am, is they, they tended to say there's, there's kind of a, a, a wide variety of opinions out there, and, and there are those who have the notion that you are some kind of uh, reincarnated Elijah or a man who comes in the spirit of Elijah again, that great prophet in our land. Or some say John the Baptist, or some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Verse 15 Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? He he wanted to get to the heart of his apostles, not the preponderance of opinion that dwelt in society. Who do the apostles say that Jesus was? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I want to tell you that this is one of the moments when Peter knocks it out of the park. You guys know who Peter was, right? Peter was a big, loud, brash, rash, used of God fisherman who tended to stick his foot in his mouth at any given opportunity. If you are in the spirit of Peter, do you say the wrong thing sometimes? Put your hand up in the air with me, right? Peter was constantly tripping over himself. But this day, this might have been the greatest thing Peter ever declared in normal conversation. When Christ asked, I don't necessarily, I'm not asking who do the peoples say that I am, but guys, my apostles, who do you say that I am? And as they fuddled around in quietness, well, I don't want to answer that question. I might get it wrong. Peter steps to the forefront with this grand answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, Peter, that answer you gave came straight from God. That's a good answer. Verse 18, I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock, and you've probably heard preachers talk about this before, that Peter's name is connected to the same word as rock. It's a play on words here. You are Petra, a stone, and on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, when Peter gave this grand answer, Jesus said, I'm going to turn you from a little stone into a mighty rock. And my church is going to be built upon you. Now, for centuries, for thousands of years, believers have wrestled, what does that mean that I will build my church on you? And you all probably know that there are certain church traditions that have heralded Peter and and, uh, worshipped him in certain ways because of this declaration, because they said, when Jesus said this, Jesus is making Peter the foundation stone of the church. I'm going to explain to you why I do not think that's what he meant here. But certainly something happened in this interchange that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the meaning of that phrase is very uh, a very Discussed question and i'm not going to try to answer that one right now because that's a whole other sermon okay but he said i'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom whatever the key- keys of the kingdom are they have something to do with the power that's going to accompany the church that christ is going to build and verse 20 it says then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the christ and obviously in this text the primary verse is this one On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Question, where do churches come from? Answer, they come from the work of Jesus. Do you see that in this verse? I will build my church. Question this morning, where do churches come from? Answer, church, Jesus. He is the builder of the church. By the way, that was a really weak answer. Where do churches come from? Jesus. He's the builder of the church. He's the one who constructs the church. He's the one who is the power behind the church. And I would suggest to you that while the question of what was meant when Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock... I will build my church. I will tell you that a a brief survey of other passages of Scripture make it clear that the true foundation of the church is also Jesus, more so than Peter. If Peter is a foundation stone, he is not the primary one. I I think for example of a verse like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, where Paul's describing the church and he says that it is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Aha. Paul says there's a sense in which the church is built on apostles and prophets. New Testament authoritative voices and Old Testament authoritative voices together form a foundation. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes on to say Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Did you know this, that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church? Well, of course you've heard that. This is one of the teachings of Scripture, that Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Paul continues, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I remember, I remember 30 years ago in a very difficult uh, uh, season of life at Bethany Baptist Church where we realized that our our documents that kind of define how we operate had a few weak points in them. And one of the weak points was this. Our old church bylaws said this, that the primary authority of the church is vested in the members of the church, okay? The congregational government, we understand that. The primary authority of the church is vested in the members of the church. Question, is that true or not true? And I'm here to tell you, that's, not actually true question where is the primary authority of the church found answer same as before jesus yes amen jesus is still the primary authority in the church amen he hasn't relinquished his authority over the church has he he is still the chief cornerstone of the church is he not We had to change a few things in our old structure documents, and that was one of them. Because Jesus is still the primary authority of the church. He is still the chief cornerstone. He is still that upon which the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. This morning, in our scripture reading, Pastor Casey read from 1 Peter 2. This passage affirms this truth. Let me remind you what we read earlier. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, speaking of Jesus... Rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. We are like Jesus. Jesus is a living stone. We, in a lesser degree, reflect that we also are like living stones, Peter tells us. You are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. All of that is about Jesus. And Peter continues, The honor is for you who believe. Uh, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. When people reject Christ's leadership in their life, they stumble. They trip over him. They stumble, Peter says, because they disobey the word as they were destined to. So I want to come back to this question. Where do churches come from? And I want to give you what I think is a super helpful definition. And this definition comes from Dr. Gary Brashears, who forever, longtime beloved theology professor at Western Seminary up in Portland, one of my alma maters. And Brashears, in one of his books on the church, says this. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, and observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, and are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. And I want to tell you, that is worth the price of the book, that, that definition alone, that paints a vivid picture. That's what God's church is. And God's church is a very special entity built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus and in a lesser way on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But it is this covenant community of believers who come together to honor God and to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission and to go out as missionaries in the world so that others can come to know him. And Paul gives us in Ephesians 3, this insight into what the church accomplishes. It says his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Manifold, many faceted, many sides. There's a depth and breadth to the wisdom of God, that this world that do not know the Lord cannot fully appreciate until the manifold wisdom of God is portrayed before them. And where does the manifold wisdom of God find its most full and complete picture in society? Answer, in the church. The church is given by God to paint that picture Because it's only in the church that we can come together as a diverse body, male and female, young and old, every ethnicity. Every culture, every educational background, every socio-economic uh, facet of society—it is only in the church that the diversity of the country can come together in unity under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other institute in society can do that. The church can't. The church doesn't always do that, but the church can do that. And it is that manifold wisdom of God that is displayed in the visible entity that is called the church. Where do churches come from? They come from the work of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit, and they come from healthy churches that send out others to start more churches, much like this church did back in the late 70s with Keith Cromie. The only other time I know of that we intentionally sent out a member to start a new church. I, I mentioned this one time, and is it your pastor, Keith? Someone told who was that? Someone told me that Keith Cromie was their pastor. Oh, it's over here. That's right, Claire, and she came and said, "That's my pastor down in California. What city, Claire? Livermore." Livermore. And a few of you, Bethany, old timers, and I'm talking old timers, okay? Merrill remembers Keith Cromie. Sorry, brother. (laughs) <laughs> but what a thing that 40 plus years ago we planted a church he went to Newburg and planted a church a healthy church vibrant church used of the lord And now we find ourselves at an opportunity to do so again. Sometimes people say, Pastor Tim, where where does this church planting idea come from? And it comes from, sorry about the shiny picture. I grabbed my old seminary notebook off my shelf in my office. And it was in the fall of 2004, as I was pursuing grad school, that I took a course on church planting And at the end of that uh, semester, after reading and studying and discussing the concept of church planting, that I wrote this Nobel Peace Prize winning document. uh, Award winning literature right here. A term paper for Dr. Troutman. Uh, I, I will tell you this, I probably never had a perfect score before this paper, and I never will again. Dr. Troutman was an easy grader, okay? But I I went back and looked at this, a 20-page paper, uh, my plan for Bethany Baptist Church to one day plant a daughter church. And it's full of rationale and strategy and statistical information on Salem, Oregon, and why a city like ours desperately needs more churches. And out of that came a, a, a vision sermon 20 years ago, saying, "My dream is that someday God might allow us to actually do it." And remember that some of our church members came up to me after that sermon and said, "Pastor, when it's time, we'll go. We want to do that." I thought, that's amazing. And then, uh, you probably can't read it, but in the lower section on the right was the church plant proposal from 2017 for Bethany Iglesia Bautista, our Spanish congregation, that was kind of a first effort in launching a new church that happened seven years ago. And now we come back to today and the launch next Sunday of Peace Bible Church. Two weeks ago when I preached, I asked this question, how do you know if you're ready to start a church? And I said, here's four things that I think the answer is yes to for us. Are we healthy? Yes. Now, I'm not saying that we're perfectly healthy. Uh, I'm not saying that there's no areas in which we need growth. But in an overall uh, sense, Bethany's a healthy church. And do we have the right leaders? We have an amazing team of leaders, first and foremost, in Pastor Casey, who's ready for this. And is the timing right? Yeah, the timing is fantastic, because God's goodness has been on us. And is there a team? And we want to recognize that there is indeed a team And two weeks ago, I asked the question, what would happen if we were completely ready to start a new church and instead we chose not to? We said, that's not something we're gonna do. God had put it on our heart and readied us for it, but we said no to him. What would be the outcome of that? And, And I fully believe that when we say no to God, when he's prepared us and resourced us, that he would withdraw his blessings. I just firmly believe that's how God would work. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter four when he said, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? And Jesus said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest right now. And Jesus was telling them in this agrarian imagery, go harvest, go do it, it's time. Yes, Bethany Baptist Church could choose contentment with where we are right now as a church. We could instead say, hey, we wanna try another evangelism strategy, a new program to reach lost people. We could do that. We have done that many, many ways over the years here But today, we are trying something different for us. Not done in over 40 years. We are going to send families of Bethany to reach a different part of Salem and to shine the light of the gospel. Last Sunday, uh, as Claire Jewell spoke, and many of you were here for that, he said something that I thought was amazing. Claire said, if we elevate security over impact, we'll never plant new churches. If we elevate security over impact. So I ask us this morning, what do we value the most at Bethany? Do we value security? Is our comfort the most important thing? Do we just want to remain right here where we are with these friends and these resources surrounding us? Or do we value impact? Are we willing to sacrifice security in order to attempt to impact more people with the gospel? Here's what Jesus said. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And I want to tell you something. Bethany's been given so much. Much will be demanded. And from the one who has been Entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I, I, I want you to know that as your pastor, I fully understand the sacrifice that we're making as a church. Financially, leaders, disciples, workers, those are some of the great assets that the church has, and we are gonna give those things away. And I'm so thankful that God has given us such unity and growth and such resources. But I would say that I, I am unsatisfied with the concept of ruining God's bounty toward us by hoarding it to ourselves. We have to give it away. By the way, that's what we did during the pandemic. We gave it away. During the pandemic, as, as just as we were leaning into the pandemic and churches got shut down, we were, for the first time in like seven years, wondering, uh-oh, maybe we figured out where the capacity of this congregation is financially. And as soon as the pandemic started and none of you were allowed to come here, our giving shot through the roof. It's crazy. That actually happened to many churches around the country. And what we found is that after a number of months, we had so much money that in our leadership meetings, we said, we gotta help some people with this money. And we gave away $20,000, which for a church like ours, that's a ton of money. But we just gave it away. And then that next Easter, we put another offering out, and we gave away another $20,000 globally to people in need. During that year, we gave away somewhere around $50,000 in our church. Why? Because you can't outgive God. Amen? And what we found is that when God blessed us and we gave it away, God's blessing continued. I think the Bible says something about that shouldn't be rocket science to us and so this morning we're going to commission a team of our very best and we're going to send them out to reach more Salem residents with the good news of the gospel this is what I would like to do right now Um, if you are part of the core team of Peace Bible Church would you stand up wherever you're seated you don't have to come up just stand up these are our best these are our family and friends and loved ones and leaders and I want to lead in prayer commissioning this core team to the work of the gospel that they're going to embark on And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer for them let's pray together Father in heaven, today is a significant day in the life of our church. And standing this morning are numerous families that have committed to step out in faith, to commit to hard work, that of starting a new church in Salem. And we thank you, Lord, for burdening Pastor Casey's heart to lead this work. And to the core team members who have joined him over the past nine months, And Lord, our city needs you. The citizens of Salem are living in spiritual darkness. The city of Shalom has little spiritual peace. And Lord, these members standing this morning, we are sending out to serve as lights in the city of Salem. May we shine the light of the gospel in obedience to your call, Lord. And we ask you to use these efforts and these families to penetrate the darkness, to bring spiritual life to many who don't know you. Father, we pray for protection from the evil one for Peace Bible Church. Grant them a spiritual unity and a great commission, passion, as they go out from us. Lord, we send them some of our best leaders and workers to serve you in a new place, and we ask you to bless their obedience with fruitfulness in their mission. Lord, use them and use us so that together we might reach the city of Salem with the good news of the gospel in powerful ways in the coming days. It's in the name of your son, I pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask Pastor Casey to come and to say uh, his parting words to us and to lead us in the communion service. And then today, after the service, we're going to have a celebration in Heritage Hall for the Lute family with an opportunity for us all to express our thanks to them for the last 10 years of ministry here. And we'll have some breakfast foods and some gestures of appreciation, so I hope that you'll enjoy that. Would you welcome Pastor Casey for the last time?
1: Well, good. I had a lot to do this week, and I I kept putting off preparing this portion of it. Because what do you do with that? I don't know. My wife and I came uh, to this church in November of 2009, so almost 14 years ago, and that means that I've spent almost a third of my life here at this church, which I didn't realize till last night, and that surprised even me. Uh, we were kind of broken people when we got here in ways that that we might not really have realized. But we came here, and our second week that we were here, we just attended. We, I, didn't, I didn't get hired to come here. We just came here visiting the church. And on the second week, there was a membership class, and so we attended the membership class. And I enjoyed that, but I never turned in the membership application. And then one day over lunch, uh, Pastor Kevin asked me why. And I said, I don't think I need to. I think the Lord's going to be moving me on really soon to another ministry position. So it doesn't seem necessary to me to put down roots here. And Kevin wisely said, just do it anyway. And I said, "Okay." (laughs) So we did. So we joined the church. And knowing that I was pursuing ministry, he gave me an excerpt from 1 Timothy 3, or maybe Titus 1, uh, as my membership verse, one of those passages on the qualifications for eldership. And I thought that seemed like a lot of weight to put on somebody with a membership verse. (laughs) But maybe he knew something or the the Lord knew something. And a few years later, I'd begin serving here as an elder at Bethany. I would complete uh, ordination for ministry in 2013. And then I would come on the pastoral staff in 2014. First in a part-time capacity and then full-time since 2018. And this church has always been good to us and to my family. It's always been home to us. And I'm glad that we put down roots here because it has allowed us to grow. It's allowed us to to heal in those ways that I mentioned we didn't even know how much we needed. And Psalm 1 says this, says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not "'in the counsel of the wicked, "'nor stands in the way of sinners, "'nor sits in the seat of scoffers, "'but his delight is in the law of the Lord, And I don't think I've always been the epitome of that righteous man in Psalm 1. I haven't always stayed focused on the word of God. I haven't always avoided the way of scoffers. But by the grace of God, during our time here, he's kept me in him. He's allowed me to be planted and to grow. I think that God has allowed me to make progress here as a Christian, a pastor, a husband and father, and as a church member. And this church has been a big part of that. God uses his people to shape his people And he's done that for us here, and I've always appreciated that. You never, as a congregation, put too heavy of expectations on me as a pastor. You never expected me to do what only Christ can do. You've always allowed me to be myself. You've always been encouraging and have listened well, and so to be here has been a gift to me. And when a plant puts down roots somewhere, it can be a shock to its system if you uproot the plant suddenly, if you yank it out of its healthy soil and expose the roots. It can even be deadly, but if a skilled gardener transplants a plant gently, it can continue to thrive. And that's what we're striving for now and heading out to plant Peace Bible Church. We're not being uprooted, we're being transplanted that we can thrive elsewhere, transplanted in the same kind of soil. And that's not just us, that's 25 other Bethany members and a handful of other kids and attenders too that are coming with us. And I'm really grateful that we're having a reception here soon and a send-off hour for me and my family. But I hope that there's a recognition there that it's for a lot of these other people as well. I was looking over the list of Bethany members that are going with us to Peace Bible Church. And there are, by my count, at least nine of them that have been members longer than us. And that was Tracy Fuller, Kent and Terry Kirsty, Jeremy and Jennifer Puckett, Tim and Tracy Smith, and Tim and Carolyn Wallace. So be sure to honor them too and everyone else who's stepping out in faith on this venture. But again, our hope in doing this is to go out and to be transplanted in the same type of soil in which we've grown here for years and years and will continue to grow and yield fruit if we stay planted in that same soil. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And that's similar language to Psalm 1, abiding and bearing fruit and all of that. And that's because Jesus is the righteous man of Psalm 1, one who was always in sync with the word of God, one who never sat in the way of sinners, one who bore much fruit, one who prospered in everything he did, even in death, Christ prospered. And so if we truly abide in the scriptures, we'll abide in Jesus Christ because it all points him. I remember shortly before I was ordained to the ministry here at Bethany, I had read Eugene Peterson's book, The Contemplative Pastor, and in it, he describes what the church is saying to a pastor when they ordain him. And he sums it up with this. He says, with these vows of ordination, we are lashing you fast to the mast of word and sacrament so that you will be unable to respond to the siren voices. There are many other things to be done in this wrecked world, and we are going to be doing at least some of them. But if we don't know the foundational realities with which we are dealing, God, kingdom, gospel, we're going to end up living futile fantasy lives. Your task, Pastor, is to keep telling the basic story, representing the presence of the Spirit, insisting on the priority of God, speaking the biblical words of command and promise and invitation. And I love what he says there, Pastor, lash yourself to the mast of word and sacrament. If you were a Baptist, he might have written word and ordinance. and It wouldn't sound as cool. <laughs> lash yourself to those sacraments, word and, or to, those, to that mast, word and sacrament. And I've tried to do that here, and I pray that God has used it. And so with that, it's a real privilege to have my last pastoral duty here on a Sunday morning be to bring you to Christ through his table. And we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning as a unified congregation, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so we'll celebrate this together as Bethany Baptist church. If you're visiting with us this morning and you're not a part of this congregation, you're welcome to join in with us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've entrusted yourself to him. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember Christ's body and blood broken and shed for us and i would encourage you as we pass the elements around this morning to spend some time in personal silent prayer and turn your heart toward christ who loves you if i can invite up the men who are serving with me this morning probably should have done that a couple seconds ago but we haven't done things this way in a long time (laughs) so we're going to actually pass everything around this morning and so we have here uh, some of our deacons and elders actually two of whom in jason and chris are staying here as members at bethany and two of whom in tim and jeremy are coming with us uh, to do this work on peace bible church so uh, let me pray for us and then we will pass the elements of communion you can prepare your hearts before the lord to receive them father we thank you for the work that you have done in this body and as we've heard this morning that work is not our own that work is the work of Jesus Christ, the one who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And God, as we come to the table, we are reminded of that, that the gates of hell have not stood against your church. That this same meal, this simple practice of the bread and the cup, the same thing that Jesus did with his disciples, we do today because Jesus reigns on high. And the gates of hell have not stood against his church. God, because he poured out himself for many, you exalted him. Because he gave up his life for us, you gave him a people in his church, in his kingdom, to follow him. And we who have entrusted ourselves to him are his people. And so, God, we pray this morning as we share in these elements of communion together as a church, that you would bind us together in unity and a shared love for Jesus Christ, a shared commitment to his kingdom, a shared treasuring of all that he treasures, and a love for one another as you have loved us. May we love each other, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.